You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God. Mind control. The last days. Higher dimensions. Unity. The power of faith. Discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries. And you can find us at www.bridemovement.com. And I just want to make a few notes before getting to the program today, folks. Number one, uh, we want to say thank you to all of you that are continuing to support us financially. Why? Because you are empowering us to do the work of the Lord. We just brought on a business manager, which is going to help me a lot. And um, they are going to get paid because of your generosity. I'm very excited and I uh, am also really excited about transition. We are doing the Fireplace Church in a new way. You will notice if you go to the fireplacechurch.org website, it takes you directly to our sign-up page where you can uh, drop your email in and that way we will send you the direct invite to our live services that are occurring in a WebEx platform. So they're all webinars now. Our, our eChurch is a webinar where we all get together, we can all chat, ask questions, and we've been having a great time with that the past few weeks and we're going to be continuing in that direction. We are laying the groundwork for the DID Coaching School. I would really like to have the first fruits of that uh, project next year early, you know, January. And um, again, all the uh, donations that you provide us with are helping us to do this stuff and also help survivors. And, you know, I get a lot of Incoming. I mean, you guys, you know, God bless you, all of you that listen to this program. A lot of you want to talk to me and ask me questions personally. And I, I get messages on my Facebook, messages through the website, um, messages directly to my emails. And, and you know, I, I, I can't keep up. And so one of the things I do have the ability to do is podcast where I can answer lots of questions at once. And I'm taking this week to talk about coping, coaching for coping with SRA and DID. In other words, 
what to do. And so we're going to get to that in just a minute. I think I'm done with my announcements for this week. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Stay right here. Well, folks, here we are on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall, and do I have a guest today? Nope, just me, and I am going to be talking to you about coaching for coping with SRA and DID, that is Satanic Ritual Abuse and Associative Identity Disorder. And as a ministry, we have a heart for survivors, really, truly. Um, God has given us a huge heart, even a mandate to help survivors. It's one of our main missions. Now, we do have a vision at Bride Ministries, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. This is, has never changed. But, you know, if you were at our Sheep Nations and the End of the Age conferences, this probably makes more sense now in light of what we're actually doing in the present moment. And, and we have a, a couple uh, missions that we are currently pursuing under our vision statement. One of those is to educate people on the truth of the kingdom of darkness and create tools for those escaping it to get out. And uh, that's where we find ourselves working with survivors of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control agendas. You know, we're educating, we're enlightening, we are discovering truth. Another component of our mandate is to equip believers with effective paradigms and strategies for engaging the kingdom of darkness with kingdom agenda and uh, to, to advance, to have knowledge to advance the kingdom of God, you know, and so we're we're doing a lot at Bride Ministries and building towards bigger things, and so with that said, we are always helping survivors in one way or another. And I know I sit down, and I, I mean, I talk with a lot of people on a weekly basis. I, I mean, it's it's excessive, um, and and so you know, but for all the people I work with one on one, there's many more. I wish I could work with one-on-one. Here's what I can do for everybody. I can tell you about coping strategies because one of the things that survivors run into, and if you're not a survivor, you probably know a survivor even if they don't know they're a survivor. The people that are going through it because they've been through trauma and, and they're dissociated. And, um, you know, what is dissociation? Dissociation is simply... What happens when a person goes through trauma? It, it's not a sickness. It's not a disease. Dissociation, it, it is something that is a universal part of the human condition. God created us with the ability to dissociate. On the very low end of the spectrum, dissociation looks like daydreaming. 
It looks like, you know, um, being able to talk on the phone while you drive your car and do both things at the same time. You know, this is dissociation. Everybody can do this kind of stuff. You know, anybody can daydream. Anyone can imagine something, you know, even engaging the imagination is a, well, a a lower level form of dissociation. Um, Dissociation often is an interfacing with the subconscious. That is kind of what it is. And so, you know. We are all created with the capacity to dissociate. What happens for people that have been through a lot of trauma, satanic ritual abuse, government-sponsored mind control, Illuminati mind control agenda, so on and so forth, is that they have had their humanity hacked and they've been taken advantage of. The capacity for them to dissociate has been utilized to destroy them and to leave them in a state of mind control. They are programmed and um when a person has been through really really tough stuff um on the back end of that especially once they begin to engage a healing journey they are often finding themselves without a full uh toolbox and how to deal with what they're being confronted by um because some of the things that we find survivors of of, of really dark stuff are confronted by include uh, surfacing memories that are very uncomfortable, survivor's guilt. They are confronted by um, boundaryless living, uh, people in their families taking advantage of them who are abusers and handlers, um, suicidal ideation. They wake up to the idea that um, they don't know how to keep track of their day. You know, their whole life is disorganized. And it's just a, a series of going from one blackout moment to another blackout moment. And who's present and where am I? And uh, people do go through this. And some of you listening to this program are in this place in your journey right now. Or, you know, you are identifying with something I'm saying. And, and that's part of the reason why you found us in the first place. And um, uh, today I, I'm going to talk about coaching for coping with SRE and DID because I think that just hearing some of these issues talked through is going to be helpful. And, you know, I have no guests today, so I figured I have to talk about something. This is going to be a win. Um, And I want to talk first about the subject of survivor's guilt because I think that this is going to help a lot of you out there, especially those of you that have or, or are working through coming out of satanic ritual abuse background, um, mind control background. You know, survivor's guilt means that a person feels really bad about surviving what they went through because others did not. And and, and they feel like they owe uh, the world, they owe someone something. Um, you know, they're asking questions like, why did I survive? You know, um, and, and, and paired with that, the confusion of why was I too weak to help the others? They're battling with questions like, why did God allow me to live and all the others to die? So there's all this conflict lending to guilt. And when people are in guilt, they easily drift into self-sabotage or self flagellation self-destruction because 
they believe that if they bring destruction upon their own lives, there's some kind of cosmic uh, uh, wrong being righted. And, and, and that may be um, extravagant language for a person who hasn't fully thought through where they are in their journey with survivor's guilt. But nonetheless, uh, there are a lot of people that I meet that are going through this on one level or another. And because they are under this oppressive weight of guilt, and I mean this guilt can be heavy, 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 and the more a person is beginning to connect with the things they've been subjected to, the heavier this guilt can be. And I'll tell you why. Because when a person is a survivor in, in a situation where they have a satanic ritual abuse background, it is um, almost unheard of that they are the recipient only of really bad stuff. Um, they don't just get tortured, they're forced to torture others. They, they don't just get stabbed, they have to stab others. They don't just get raped, they have to rape others. It's part of the journey. And so there's a lot of guilt associated with that. You know, There's a lot of guilt associated with watching how you know, even parents that are involved treat each other. You know, the, the, the way that the dad brutally um, just uh, beats the mom and the parents and, and that boy saying, why was I too weak to help my, my uh, you know, family? And, and, and there's, there's all of this stuff going on. So, so in order to write that, people begin to engage in self-blame. They hate themselves for that. They, they hate themselves for surviving um, sometimes when others didn't. You know, sometimes people have to witness individuals in the cult actually sacrificed. We run into this all the time. And there's a lot of guilt about that. Why did I survive? And, and so what people begin to do is they, they begin to do things like they ruin every good opportunity that comes their way. If, if a good relationship enters their life. Right, whether it's the opposite sex or if it's a really good friend or even a good coach or counselor that is willing to work with them through their issues, they will sabotage that relationship, destroy it, and make sure that it doesn't work out somehow. You know, they push everything and everyone in them that's positive away, and they only have partial control over this many times. It's it's almost like a defense mechanism. It's like, oh, this is too good. I'm push that out. And, and they're sabotaging. They're sabotaging. A good job comes their way. It's like, no way. I'm not going to receive that for myself. I don't deserve that. I'm so evil and wicked. So I'm going to destroy that opportunity. I'm going to intentionally bomb that interview. And and and, and many times people are, are going through this, but because they're dissociated, because they're dissociated, what they are doing isn't even fully manifesting from their present front consciousness, which makes it even more confusing for the person that's doing it because they're saying, but I don't want to sabotage every good thing in my life. So how does this make sense? And you know, what we find is that when people are survivors, they often have large portions of their humanity, which you could understand as fragments. And we deal with three main types of fragments. Fragments that are soul fragments, fragments that are both soul and spirit combined or joined, and fragments that are uh, spirit fragments, um, which do get dealt with a little differently. But um, we, we deal with all three kinds. And, and But we have these fragments on the inside, and we deal with a lot of soul fragments because the soul fractures a lot more than the spirit. And there's only going to be a few soul-spirit combo fragments in any individual um, from my experience. But 
You know, we're, we're dealing with these pieces of soul that have been broken through trauma and they are behind the person that is trying to live life and saying, yeah, you can't have that or we can't have that or I can't have that. And, and since it's that part of the person deep in the subconscious, because that part of the person that's deep in the subconscious says, I can't have that, the person begins to manifest out of that belief system. And they engage in self-sabotage. And, and, you know, even if they are saying in their own head, like, I'm not going to blame myself, I'm not going to hate myself, deep down in their subconscious or heart, if you want to relate it to a biblical term, which we do at Bride Ministries, we say, you know, the subconscious is the heart. And a study on the heart in the Bible will lead you to a huge understanding of what goes on in a survivor and a person that's associated because you're dealing in the heart realm, which is the subconscious. That person deep down in their heart is saying, I don't deserve that. I don't get that. And, and the Bible says a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the battle with survivor's guilt is a battle in the heart realm over, and, and it always comes back to identity. And so we are always dealing with survivor's guilt. You know, I, I really spend a lot of time trying to coach people in how to not self-sabotage <laughs> because self-sabotage, it, it, it's, it's like self flagellation it, it, to a part of a person at least a part of them it feels good and i know that sounds strange but there's actually a certain degree of satisfaction or alleviation of stress when we when when a person that has self blame and self hate rooted deep within their hearts for what they've been through subjected to what they've done or been forced to do loses there's like a a, a feeling of ah you know justice has been served I, I, I dodged a bullet by um, somehow evading cosmic justice. I don't deserve anything. So, you know, I, I, again, I'm at the bottom, which is where I belong. And, 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 and so when I'm working with people that are dealing on this level, one of the first things that I have to explain is that the idea that God is in control is flawed. And many times people get this idea plugged into them through religious programming. God is in control because he is sovereign and all-powerful. He controls everything, and everything that's happened to you was controlled by him. Um, Because one of the roots of survivor's guilt is why did God allow me to live? I, that, that, that's a very deep question. Or why did God not save those other people, but he saved me? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and truly, if you do a study on the Bible, what you realize is that God does not control everything that happens. He is sovereign over creation. He has a plan and he always wins in the end. But... His plan is executed through the cooperation of man, just like the enemy or the devil's plan is executed through the cooperation of man, which is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because the will of God is not always done. And so there are satanic cults where people are killed who are not dying in the will of God. Their lives are actually being stolen from them by the devil. And so when people survive and ask, why did God allow me to survive? One of the answers to the question is, well, God is not controlling everything. 
But God has a plan for you because you are alive. <laughs> and, and so because God honors this thing called free will, which he gave to man. And, and, and people may say, you know, well, why would a good God give man free will? Well, here's the answer. Because God wanted someone that he could love and could love him back. And if you create a being without sentience, without the ability to make their own choices, then you can't actually receive love because you're dealing with a robot. So God has no choice but to create free will. One of the things people don't realize is that not only do humans get created with free will, so do the angels, which is why angels can, in fact, rebel. And many have. And we all recognize that as Christians, and it's like, oh, yeah, the angels do have a free will. They do. <laughs> and they have a sentience, and so do humans. Um, what people may have not realized a thousand years ago is that we would develop machines that are um, <laughs> synthetic technologies that are developing their own sentience. But, you know, welcome to the 21st century. Um, so God creates this free will that's modeled in the garden where he has the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and all these other vegetations. And he says to man, there's only one thing you can't do, and that's eat from that tree, so don't do it. And then man does that. Is, an, is the evidence that God established free will because without the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there would have been no way to even exercise choice in the garden. There, there was no way to do anything but what God's perfect will was. So in order to create the reality of choice, God had to create a, 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 an object against which to exercise will. And, um, you know, free will has never been taken away from man. So evil people get to choose to be evil and then they get to choose to do evil things and when they do evil things that hurts other people god cannot violate his honoring of free will to stop a person that is being hurt by someone who's choosing to hurt them so people ask why didn't god stop my abuser well because he is just and he's righteous and he has to have right standing with himself and if he overrides free will he is actually violating his own laws and therefore he will lose his righteousness because he will not have right standing with himself. You know, God is not a hypocrite. If he says it, it just is. That's it. If he gives free will, that's it. There's free will. And it, it, whatever price that means, it means. And um, so there's a huge cost. And so how does God navigate that? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 25, as you've done to the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. So God goes through the pain with the people that he loves, which is everyone. So that on the tail end of it, he can heal people from it, but he cannot just stop it because that would be a violation of his own law. So instead of stopping it, which would actually be the easier thing for God, he goes through it with us to the extent that there is no suffering on this planet that Jesus Christ cannot identify with. It's profound. That's the God we serve. You know, uh, God told me, he said, there's no suffering anywhere at any time that I have not felt. God is incredible, yet he is love, right? So anyway, um, the question, why did God allow me to live, is actually the wrong question. The right question is, what is God's purpose for my life? Because you are alive. You're here. You're listening to me. God has a purpose for your life. The Bible says God has plans for us, plans for good and not for evil, plans to give us a hope in the future. One of the things 
to getting over survivor's guilt is actually understanding identity in Christ. That is one of the biggest, biggest steps to overcoming survivor's guilt. Um, understanding your identity in Christ. Because when you get identity in Christ, you actually get a new program embedded in your heart in that place of brokenness. The other side of it is inner healing and deliverance. Because survivor's guilt does require some deliverance. You know, a root of self-hate is a bondage. A root of self-blame is a bondage. Self-sabotage is a bondage. There needs to be a deliverance from spirits working behind these things. And there needs to be a, a, a forgiving of self, you know. Um, one of the things that's very helpful for people with survivor's guilt is to forgive not only their abusers, but they have to forgive themselves and they have to forgive God. Even if it doesn't make sense theologically, um, that is a key that unlocks huge forward progress in the area of survivor's guilt, to forgive yourself, to forgive your abusers, and to forgive God. Um, now, uh, speaking on identity, I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, one, 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Let me tell you something about what God wants for his people. The plan of God is for his people to prosper in all things and be in health. God, it, it is not his plan to enforce upon his people broke uh, busted and disgusted. That's what the devil wants for the children of God. What God wants is to bring many sons to glory. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting for him, for whom all things are made, and by whom uh, are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus was made fully mature and perfect through what he suffered so that God could bring many sons to glory. And the embracing of sonship, the embracing of the idea that you can come to Jesus Christ, you can lay your life down because he laid his life down for you and enter the kingdom of God as a child of God is a centerpiece of who you are. I mean, is is profound. Now, this is the thing, right? God wants his children to prosper in all things and be in health. And God wants to bring his children, his sons to glory. And for this agenda, he died. What that means is that God does not believe that you need to destroy your life and ruin your own opportunities to allow for cosmic justice to be fully manifest. He wants you to turn to him, to believe what he says about you, and to lay down at the cross self-hatred, self-sabotage, self-blame. There is a difference between conviction and guilt. Conviction leads to repentance, which establishes us in the midst of the heart of God. But guilt is condemnation. And that leads us into the pit. And it leads us to despair. So we have to understand our identity in Christ. We have to understand that God looks at us as sons. 
He looks at us as sons. And while the Bible does say, as, um, as many as the Lord loves, he chastens. That means, you know, those whom the Lord loves, he brings correction to. It does not mean that those whom the Lord loves, he actively destroys their lives. You know, um, some, some people think, well, God must hate my guts because the Lord will not provide for my financial needs, no matter how much I pray. And what I've found over and over again is that when people perceive that the Lord is quote-unquote not providing, there is usually a whole host of things the devil is doing that they have not recognized yet. I, I did a program a while back called... Um, wealth and the kingdom of God. And one of the things I talked about were financial grids. And what many people do not realize is, is that through rituals and through evil projects, fragments of them have been taken into regions of the second heaven and embedded into grids that redirect the flow of wealth. And their agreement was established through rituals that they didn't sign up for. And so as God goes to send them wealth, the enemy is using these fraudulent legalities and pirated positions in the individual's life to route their blessings in another direction. And until the finished work of Jesus Christ is specifically applied to those issues, the person is actually being hacked by the devil. They're being robbed and plundered and stolen from and they turn around and they say, well, you know, every time I ask God to give me a bone, it doesn't come. And it's like, well, but God's not the one that's routing your bone away from you. That's the devil that's doing that. But, you know, many Christians haven't seen the full spectrum of weirdness that goes on in the spirit realm, which is one of the reasons why, you know, having a seer gift or the discerning of spirits at work is very helpful. You know, there are Christians that argue the spiritual gifts should not be used because, well, any kind of spiritual gift is a manifestation of a demon. <laughs> well, you know. Not at Bride Ministries. <laughs> You're not going to get anywhere with that. Um, and not on the level that, you know, God is actually delivering people. So, you know, we believe that God is able to, through his Holy Spirit, open us up to these mechanics. We have to put our faith out for those revelations. You know, sometimes people are not walking in the abundance that they should because they haven't gotten to the bottom the root cause of their issues. And, and, uh, and that's why I did a whole program on this. Too much to talk about. I'm getting off track. But what I want to say is we are talking about survivor's guilt. And the thing is that we have to understand that we have an identity in Christ. And we have to allow that identity in Christ to pervade into our heart and to connect with the parts of our brokenness that believe contrary to the belief system of God. We have to let the identity that we have in Christ penetrate us to the places of our brokenness and the parts of us that are out of touch and out of sync with that revelation. We have to open ourselves up to that. And, and, and it starts with our presenter, our, our, our front, our, our surface awareness being connected to that idea. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, um, we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What 
survivors need to understand that are in survivor's guilt is that because you are alive, God has a plan for you. And there are works that you were designed to walk in that have been ordained from the foundation of the world. And since you are here, you may as well walk those things out because what better thing is there to do than to invest your life in something that is going to have eat eternal significance. You have the opportunity to walk out a journey with Jesus that has a positive impact on the world, which will do more cosmic correction, if you want to look at it that way, than any kind of evil you could sabotage yourself with. Not only that, Jesus paid the price for what you did. He paid the price for your weakness. He paid the price for the people you had to hurt. And he paid the price truly for the people that hurt you. And now you get to partner with him. It's an opportunity because you're here to have a life of supreme significance. Why not partner with that? You know, I want to point out something to those that are survivors and asking, why am I even here? Why am I still alive? I want you to know that God is right now reorganizing the earth and bringing judgment to evil agendas on the basis of the testimony of the witness. and, and, And the witnesses are the survivors. And if you want evidence of how this plays out, I encourage you to listen to something like Montauk Boots on the Ground, one of our former programs, or listen to some of the recent programs I've just been doing with Casey, talking about how we've been leveraging deliverance into judgment. And, and, and you know, we are seeing, we are literally watching headlines change at times because what we have found, and, and I want to make this very, very clear. When survivors bear witness in the courts of heaven to the great injustices they have suffered, God is just and righteous in moving to wipe out entire realms and systems of evil. Let me say it this way. Every survivor is a class action lawsuit in the courts of heaven against the powers of darkness based on what they have suffered and been connected into. Why am I alive, God? Why am I here? What's the point? I should just die. I'm so horrible. Blah, blah, blah. Get over it. God has a plan for your life. You are a walking class action lawsuit waiting to be unpacked. You don't know the significance of your life. So get out of that pit. Surrender that guilt to Jesus and get on board with purpose. Okay, done. Hopefully that makes sense. So we're talking about survivor's guilt. I want to talk about something else. You know, we're talking about coaching for coping with SRA and DID. That is coaching for coping with satanic ritual abuse and dissociative identity disorder. I want to talk about abusive parents and families. You know, we get a lot of questions along this line. How do I deal with my, you know, mom or my dad? They're so manipulative. I am always being called upon by them. And every time I'm around them, they're destroying my life. They're ruining my family. They're creating some kind of conflict, whatever they, you know, maybe you're connected to the fact that they were your abuser growing up. Maybe you haven't quite connected to that, but it's just a disaster every time. And you know, there's something under the surface. You know, we run into this all the time and people feel very, very guilty about not doing what parents, and oftentimes this, this is this is truly parents, but sometimes it's other relatives, um, impose upon them, you know. And, and I meet a lot of survivors 
with very, very challenged relationships with their parents. And um, they, 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 what they do is they continue to submit and subject themselves to a very lopsided, unhealthy relationship with their parents. And what they do is they quote the Old Testament, oftentimes the, the Ten Commandments, and say, but the Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long in the earth. Daniel, I know that my relationship with my parents is extremely unhealthy and destructive in my life. They've been manipulating me from the time I was born, and you know, I, I may or may not know about all the abuse I was subjected to, but what I do know is that I'm Christian, and therefore God wants me to honor my parents, so no matter what, I have to be there for them. Okay, so I see a lot of lives getting destroyed with this paradigm, this mindset. And, and, and this is where um, you, 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 people need to understand what goes into destroying a life. Um, the enemy destroys one generation to another. It's always generational. You know, if um, the mother was involved in a satanic cult, that is going to produce lots of trauma through which humanity gets split up and demonization is applied to parts of that mother who then are cult loyal and if it's never dealt with she will get married probably to someone that's also not a good person and when they begin to have kids their cult loyal parts will ensure that the pattern is replicated in their children who will then make sure that the pattern is replicated in their children because from one generation to the next there is uh, trauma being induced through parts that have been trained and uh, empowered and demonized to do that and so when you get one person that's trying to break away they're breaking away from a generational investment in the kingdom of darkness and and uh, as, as brokenness is proliferated in a person's life particularly by parents what what happens is that there is a total erosion of boundaries there's there's a total erosion of boundaries you know no daddy don't go down my pants you know but there's no boundary there because that's that's the kind of abuse that's taking place so a person learns from a very young age to not have boundaries and to not know how to draw healthy boundaries because there's no model for healthy boundaries and the the manipulators, the abusers, the handlers continue to be able to uh, impose upon that person boundaryless living later into life. And they often back up boundaryless living with religious programming where they twist scripture such as honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long in the earth so that they can keep a person trapped in cycles of destructive behavior with individuals that are in their lives producing it. And, and, and this is what I have to say. First of all, if you are coming from this kind of background and, and you have parents that didn't do such a good job because, well, probably they were programmed and their parents were programmed and so on and so forth, you have to realize that, yes, God does love your parents. Um, God loves all humanity. And this is true. Um, but which, what, what I tell people is, first of all, Jesus Christ is the healer. He is the redeemer. He is the deliverer. I'm his sidekick. So even when I'm working with survivors, I don't get my role confused. I'm not the healer. Jesus is. And so some people think that they have to be their, you know, abuser's healer. No, you don't. Let Jesus do that. Jesus can do it with you and he can do it without you. And if they're your abuser or handler or some other kind of evil person in your life, he's probably going to do it without you. Because if he tries to use you, you will be in a continual place of compromise. So 
let's just get it straight where the roles are. Boundary living is essential. Right boundaries are of absolute utmost importance when you are coming from a background of satanic ritual abuse and, and dissociative identity disorder. And, and due to government-sponsored mind control and, and, and other issues, you know. And, and honestly, this even goes for people that haven't been through, you know, a, a satanic ritual abuse background. And you just have extremely manipulative parents. Maybe your father was a total narcissist, you know, or your mother was a total narcissist. And you had to learn how to cope with that growing up. Um, how do you navigate that relationship in light of what the Bible says about honoring your parents? And this paradox I want to address because... Every time I tell someone my answer to this paradox, I, I watch the light bulbs go off and they're set free. To honor your father and mother in the context of the Ten Commandments actually means to not do things to intentionally bring shame upon your parents. Right? So... Let's say you are in the Old Testament context and, you know, you, you are, a, a, you know, 17 years old, right? And your parents are at home and you go off and you steal your neighbor's goat. You steal your neighbor's goat and you do something really dumb with the goat and uh, you get in big, big trouble, right? Y okay. You have just dishonored your father and mother in that context because you as a uh, individual, as a sovereign entity, so to speak, that, that, that is operating out of your own capacity, have done something bad that brought shame upon your parents. So when the Bible says honor your father and mother, it means you are responsible to make decisions in your life that will not bring shame upon your parents. That is the idea, right? So how about you just rephrase that? Do a good job. And, you know, you can give your parents credit for the things that they did that were positive, but this is what honor your father and mother does not mean. It does not mean that they get to speak into areas of your life that are continually destroying things and opportunities for you with advice. Yeah, you know, um, they do not get to. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go into lots of specific examples because those of you that are in this, you know what I'm talking about. You, you know what's going on, and and, and what I'm saying is. Be liberated. When the Bible says honor thy father and thy mother, it does not mean bend over backwards for narcissistic behavior to be encouraged. It does not mean maintain a codependent relationship. God is into interdependence. Codependency is a problem. So, when you honor your father and mother, that means that you can do so by taking a healing journey with Jesus that brings you to a platform in your life where your purpose is being revealed. That is an applicable, uh, 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 um, that, that, that is one 
avenue of application for honor thy father and mother. Take a healing journey with Jesus. Because when you take a healing journey with Jesus, you are not bringing shame upon your parents through your actions. Now, when you take a healing journey with Jesus, sometimes you may learn about the evil things that your parents did. Maybe they did abuse you and rape you and do really bad things to you. And you have to come to grips with that fact. You are not dishonoring your parents by acknowledging truth. Let me say that one more time. You are not dishonoring your parents by acknowledging truth. You are dishonoring your parents when you do things in your life, with your life, out of your independent abilities that bring shame upon them. But acknowledging the truth of what happened is not in that category. Two completely different conversations. You are not responsible as a survivor to cover up evil things that your parents or your parents' parts have done. That's not your job. Your job is to heal from it. And, 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 and if you're working with people that are survivors or you know people that are survivors, you know, I encourage you to tell them the same thing because this is a big hurdle and it's something that I see the devil using a lot. And, um, you know, I get questions along these lines a lot. Like, you know, well, but my mom or my dad and I can't break away. And, and let me give you guys a few other tips and tricks here on uh, dealing with abusive parents, families, high levels of manipulation coming from these areas, so on and so forth. One of the things that happens when people are engaging and sharing trauma, um, especially within the family unit, is that there is always an exchange of broken humanity always an exchange of broken humanity. In other words, um, if, if a mother is abused and traumatized and so on and so forth, she gives birth to a daughter and begins to abuse and traumatize that daughter. There are parts or broken pieces of that mother and sometimes also, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, broken pieces that may have jobs like manipulator and programmer and so on and so forth that will actually slide over to the daughter's vessel and enter into the, the daughter's person, subconscious, whatever you want to call it, inner worlds. We find parts of parents and parts of children in people that are involved in, or coming or breaking free from satanic ritual abuse backgrounds, uh, government-sponsored mind control backgrounds all the time. It's actually standard proceeding and protocol. It's always there, like 100%. Um, I, I, I've never actually come across a person that was abused by a parent who did not have pieces of that parent's humanity inside of them. This is 100%. And um, what happens is uh, many times codependency is being reinforced by this issue that there are parts of humanity of the parent in the child or the child in the parent that keeps pulling those people back into unhealthy relationships and codependency and, um, you know, uh, relationships of total manipulation or dominance, so on and so forth. So this is one of the reasons why we designed the Freedom from Human Persecutors prayer, which is actually on the Bride Ministries website, bridemovement.com. 
You can download it for free, pray it, and use your mom or dad's name if this is you, and you will find yourself being delivered. The, the angels will actually remove the parts of your parents' humanity out of you, and that will make engaging and maintaining a healthier relationship and healthier boundaries easy or much easier. Um, I want to say that, um, you know, when, when, when relationships are so unhealthy, when relationships are so unhealthy that contact is not reasonable, honoring thy father and mother does not omit cutting the relationship off. Because remember, if the idea is to not bring shame upon your parents with your actions, then to end that contact and take a healing journey with Jesus independent of their influence is not actually creating that at all. It's just creating the necessary boundaries so that you know you can prevent that individual from doing more damage to you. You know, one of the things I, I say to people about boundary drawing, it's, it's just very simple. Let me, let, let, let's say I invite someone over my house. I think they're a good guy or whatever. They come in my house. They take my stuff. You know, when they leave, I realize that, in, you know, a valuable clock off of my wall is just missing. Boom. Okay. $300 gone. They just stole it. Am I going to invite that person back into my house? No. New boundary. You stole from me. You're not coming back in this house there, there's new boundaries now you will stay outside of the house now if god wants me to minister to you i may meet you at a coffee shop but you're not coming back in my house because it's actually protective for me and you for me not to have you in my house i'm actually by drawing that boundary preventing you from adding more evil to your account for which you will be judged see there is a, a mutual interest in having someone capable of drawing healthy boundaries for both the person that is perpetrating and the person that's being perpetrated against. So, um, when it comes to abusive parents and families, um, you know, just remember, like, yeah, God loves abusive parents just as much as he loves, you know, murderers and thieves. And if, see, uh, God does hate sin but he loves people and you know there is potential for redemption but it doesn't mean that he's going to use you as his solution for that cause and it also does not mean that you need to maintain unhealthy boundaries with certain individuals especially parents and family members in your life when there is a lot of manipulation and control and uh, handling so on and so forth going on and in the past so be set free this is what God wants for you God wants his people to be healthy he wants his people to be whole and he wants the people to enjoy the benefits of walking in the liberty the glorious liberty uh, that he has for his children now I want to also talk about um, suicidal ideation um, this is a big 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 thing that most survivors go through it. If you have survivors in your life or people that have been through a lot of abuse, you will know that there, there are times that, that people are going to slide into this place where it's just like, I'm hurting so bad. I just want it to be over. I want to kill myself. And, um, you know, the ability for people to deal with this is going to oftentimes determine 
how healthy their journey of healing is. You know, because look, waves of suicidal ideation are are, are a, a component of a healing journey for just about every survivor. And um, there, you know, there are exceptions to just about every rule, but for most survivors, this is there. You know, maybe not always, maybe just sometimes, maybe just once in a blue moon. But when things hit, it can be tough. When a flood of memories comes back out of the blue, unexpectedly, it can get really tough, very dicey. When events happen that are undesirable and disappointing, it can get really dicey. And so what do you do if suicidal ideation is beginning to take place? One, um, I like to encourage people to first understand their dissociation, right? Um, many times people that are dealing with a lot of suicide are also dealing with a lot of dissociation because it's the pain from their heart and their subconscious that's pushing them that direction. And so they, they need to understand their dissociation. There needs to be a recognition that, you know, there's fragmentation in there, there's brokenness. And once that is understood, we can begin to work certain um, strategies. You know, and, and, and once a person has some awareness of their dissociation, and remember, these are coping strategies for people that are, you know, coming from a background of satanic ritual abuse or, 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 DID, or DID because of government-sponsored mind control agendas, so on and so forth. Um, once there's an awareness, there are parts on the inside. It helps to be able to just pause and do a roll call. Stop and say, okay, who is it on the inside that's hurting really bad right now and wants to end it all? I want you to identify yourself. Who is it on the inside that's hurting really bad right now and wants to end it all? I want you to identify yourself. This simple act can help a person to connect with the part of them that's actually emanating the suicidal ideation because oftentimes suicidal ideation isn't coming from the person at the front it can but more often than not it's coming from a deeper place inside of them and it may be one part of them or a group of parts and once that's identified you're actually doing really, really good at this point because once you find the source of the suicidal ideation, then you can engage in targeted ministry. First of all, renounce the spirit of suicide. Just go ahead and renounce it. Say, you know, I renounce the spirit of suicide. I do not receive it. I bind it in the name of Jesus. And I command it to get off now. You know, basic stuff. But two, you need to allow for ministry to the places of brokenness that are experiencing the suicidal ideation. So let's say a person that's associated does a roll call. Who, who wants to end it all right now? They see a hand go up on the inside. It's like, oh, who are you? Um, well, I'm Mike. Maybe they know Mike. Maybe they don't know Mike. But now they know that Mike wants to end it all. Next step is to make sure that Mike gets some ministry, right? You, you can bind him, you know, cast out spirit of suicide all day long. But if Mike is feeling suicidal because he's hurting, just dealing with the spirit of suicide is not enough. Mike needs healing. Mike needs help. Mike needs to be hurt. 
So once a part is identified, say Mike's hand goes up and you're like, oh, there's Mike and Mike is really hurting right now. You can ask for ministry to that part of you. And as a coach or uh, counselor, you can pray this over a person or the person can pray it over themselves. You can ask Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the wonderful counselor, you know, whatever name is most applicable to the individual, to come and minister to that part that's hurting. If there's so much, and, and this is one of the things we run into, fake Jesus activity, right? Or fake Yeshua activity for those that want to argue the uh, Hebrew root's name and say, well, <laughs> you know, if you just use the real name of Jesus, then you wouldn't have a problem. Yeah, sure, right. Well, in practice, let me tell you the truth, guys. Um, there are fake Yeshuas and fake Jesuses, both. And there's also fake Jesuses. So, you know, wrap your mind around that one. Um, the enemy is a counterfeiter and a fraud. Uh, they even have made fake Daniels and fake other counselors that I work with. It's just, you know... It's demons wearing costumes. Sometimes it's parts of people wearing costumes. I'm not getting into deep uh, strategies on how to deal with all this stuff right now. But, you know, sometimes there's a big history of that, right? Where fake, fake Jesuses rule the day. Every time the person tries to connect with Jesus, it doesn't work because they're running into a fake, you know. It's, it's some kind of thing that just wants to come over and be very feminine or wants to abuse them as a, you know, abuser or whatever. And so fake Jesus programming is, is, is still a hurdle then we can move to another person in the Godhead because the Holy Spirit is, guess what? A comforter and a counselor and a standby and a helper and an intercessor. And you can ask Holy Spirit to minister to Mike. You can ask the Father in heaven to minister to Mike. You know, every part of the Godhead loves you. (laughs) Holy Spirit loves you, Jesus loves you, and the Father loves you. And believe it or not, In the book of John, it's revealed that the love that Jesus has actually comes from the Father. Meaning Jesus is loving us with the love of the Father that he has received. It's profound. So every part of the Godhead loves you. So you can actually ask any person in the Godhead to minister to Mikey. Now, maybe Mike, you know, that's not working either because you have a false trinity programming, which is something else we run into. Well, what do you do with that? Move on. Um, you can ask the angels of the Lord to minister. Are not all his angels made ministering spirits to those which are inheriting salvation? You can say, Lord God, every time I call on you, the, the, the fake Father, the fake Holy Spirit, fake Jesus shows up, and I'm having a real big block but can you just send your angels to minister to me in accordance with Hebrews chapter 1? Um, if all of that is a challenge, you know, you definitely want to work with a coach or a deliverance minister, someone that is capable of helping you journey to freedom in those areas because that, that does get cleared up through deliverance and inner healing, often working with somebody like myself. We, we get breakthroughs in these areas all the time and, and then it gets easy. Um, but, you know, another strategy is that, you know, you can actually ask for Mike to be put to sleep if he's in that place of deep suicide. Because, you know, in the natural, uh, sometimes there's so much stress, so much anxiety, so much overwhelm going on. The best thing to do is to go to sleep, even in the natural. It's like, just stop, take a nap. It's too much. And if you do not rest, 
the only thing that's going to happen is that more conflict, uh, more bad decisions begin to take place. So, you know, sometimes going to bed, just, just going to bed in the natural is a good strategy. Sometimes that is applicable to parts. Now, I have also recognized over the course of doing this that some parts of people are very traumatized um, because they have been programmed in a sleep state. So sometimes putting parts to sleep is not the best idea. So that's an individual thing. We can move this conversation into what I call self-ministry. So here's a whole bunch of ways you can get Mike some ministry and help if he's in suicidal ideation, but we're not done yet, right? So you can ask the Jesus, you can ask the Holy Spirit, you can ask the Father God, you can ask the angels of the Lord to minister, you can ask for the part to be put to sleep, or you can move into self-ministry. And um, self-ministry has to, or ministry to the part has to happen under some kind of circumstance. Putting a part to sleep is only a temporary band-aid. It's only a temporary band-aid. Um, eventually, you have to get into ministry. And, and so what does that look like? That looks like identifying the thoughts and perspective of Mike. Hear Mike out. You have to hear him out. If you don't hear him out, then he'll never be able to express himself. And, and the source of his suicidal ideation will remain anchored in you. So suicide can always come back through Mike's back door. So you need to hear Mike out. And as you hear Mike out and you say, and, and this is how you do it. You say, ah, Mike, you're the one that's experiencing suicidal ideation. Mike, I, I want you to know something. I love you. I accept you. And I want to thank you and acknowledge what you've done for me even if I don't agree with the way you've gone about doing your job. And Mike, I am willing to hear you out. Why do you want to end it all? And when you do that, let's say you're the person that, that's going through the suicidal ideation, when you open the door to communication, that's when you are really making progress, right? Now, at this point, you have opened the door to receive memories, to receive knowledge, to receive communication. And you're getting to the root of the issue. It may help at this point to journal. Um, it may help at this point to uh, <laughs> um, be in a still quiet place. And and, and and you have to commit to this because once you start letting um, Mike talk, you want to let him finish. Now, um, one of the things you're going to want to remind us, and this especially goes for parts that are younger of a person. You know, they may they may be 40 years old, but the part that wants to end it all is eight years old. You know, one of the the helpful things is to remind that part that they are in present time if they do not understand. It's 2017. It's not 1982. And there's present abuse going on. Like, you know, sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's helpful to remind that part as well, that they aren't the only part with a say. You know, because sometimes parts may have suicidal ideation, but they think on the inside that that piece of your humanity is the only one that matters. 
And it's, it, it has to be understood. No, it's not. There, there's the rest of me as a person. And not everybody in here thinks it's time to end it all at, at all. As a matter of fact, maybe you haven't realized yet, because I didn't know about you, that Jesus has a plan for our lives. My life. Because your life is my life. And you need to know that. And, um, you know, other things that help is to encourage Mike. Hey, Mike, I want to encourage you. I'm proud of you for what you survived. Because oftentimes, parts that are in the place of suicide had to survive really, really tough things. It may be the part that held the knife. It may be the part that, you know, uh, administered the poison. It may be the part that did whatever kind of evil thing and they are so hurting and so broken. And they need to be told, you know, you're not scum. As a matter of fact, Jesus died for what you did. And I'm, I'm personally proud of you for what you survived. And you're loved. Understand, Mike, you are loved. Even if they don't feel like it's true, you tell that part of yourself anyway. It, it, it's very, very helpful overcoming the suicidal ideation. Also, one of the things that is helpful is to speak. Mike, I'm giving you bread of life and living water. Here, take it. You know, one of the things that we don't realize is that our words have creative power. And when we're dealing with ministry, I do this all the time. I just speak bread of life and living water, and I give it to parts all the time. Why? Because when they consume the living water, they are actually consuming God in that manifestation. Because, you know, in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, God says, I am the fountain of living water. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Jeremiah chapter 2. So if you give that part of you living water to drink, you're actually causing them to consume God along with all of his abundance and resources and beliefs and power and all of that. You know, so giving parts living water to drink is a huge, huge, huge thing. Also bread of life to eat because, you know, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And when parts begin to partake of that, it changes them, even if only by degrees. It does have an influence. You know, you are putting those parts that are going through suicidal ideation under the influence. But not pills or alcohol or the wrong influence. You're putting them under the influence of God. And that's what you want to do because, you know, your parts want to be medicated by something oftentimes when the suicidal ideation pops up. And people deal a lot of self-sabotage when the suicidal ideation comes up because people learn to uh, survive it through medication, self-medication with drugs and alcohol and cutting and other bad decisions. No, medicate it with Jesus. <laughs> Come under the influence of something positive. So it's helpful to administer living water and bread of life. Also, you can give that part. Imagine an object such as a toy or a bouquet of flowers if maybe it's a little girl on the inside and you're a female or whatever. And um, something that actually will make that part that's really hurting and feeling that suicidal desire special. You know, think about a little kid that you meet. And they're crying on a sidewalk. You say, oh, little, you know, 
little Julie, I'm so sorry you're crying. What's wrong? It's like, oh, I bumped my knee and it hurts. And it's like, oh, but, you know, I, I'm sorry your knee hurts here. Let me give it a, let me give that boo-boo a little kiss. Oh, by the way, here's a flower because you're so beautiful. And they're like, oh, a flower. Suddenly the, they forget about the boo-boo on their knee. Right? And, and so sometimes, you know, giving parts stuff is actually therapeutic. <laughs> and, and, and all it takes is speaking and a little bit of, well, creative imagination. You can give your parts things that make them feel special. Or you can ask Jesus, if Jesus is working on the inside of you, to give your parts something that will help them to feel better. You know, the Bible says... Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of life. And, and, you know, one of the things that I have found is that Jesus definitely administers through the love language of giving. And um, when I work with people, their parts and their littles get all kinds of cool stuff. Gifts, toys, uh, flowers. I mean, you name it, they get it. It's, it's just, you know, uh, an, an overboard. There's a lot of goodies that come out of that. And... So, you know, don't think that this is exclusively occurring when you're working with or a person is working with someone like myself. This is something you can engage with just to minister to yourself. You know, if you if you know a part of you really would like, you know, a toy or some flowers, just in your mind, give it to them. Say here. I'm giving you this because I want you to feel better. Or ask God if you don't know what to do. Lord Jesus, can you just give them something that will make them feel special? And watch what Jesus does because he will. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other things, obviously, that we could talk about on coping for or coaching <laughs> for coping with satanic ritual abuse and dissociative identity disorder. But I'm done for today. We'll do more of these kinds of podcasts in the future. And, of course... Um, if you want to send some emails our way to our website, uh, bridemovement.com, say, hey, you know, next time Daniel's doing a coaching for coping with SRA and DID program, I'd like him to answer this question or that question, whatever. Uh, you, you can send those emails in and I'll get them and um, I, I can frame a, another program around some of those questions. But hopefully you have found this one helpful. So therefore, until next time. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.